Welcome to Carbon and Stone Podcast, where our positive new positive news articles come to life. I'm your host, Naisha Stone, and I'm also the founder of Carbon and Stone, your weekly source of positive news. If you're a new listener today, uh, we've been around for six years reporting on positive news through articles, video interviews, radio, and now our podcast. So since December, I've been bringing someone on every Tuesday to discuss the positive things going on in their life. And today is no different. So our next guest, Angela Walters, um, she's been in the realtor industry for over for about 20 years, and she just got a new position as the first black woman of the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors, and they've been around for 130 years. So, you know, they got some catching up to do, but we're very proud of them for stepping up and um, electing Angela. So welcome. Hello. Hi. How you doing? I am doing great, and I'm super excited to be here with you today. Thank you. I'm super excited to have you on. I don't know much about, you know, uh, you know, selling houses. And I know you saw the few churches. We'll get into that. Um, but what is it about you? How can you last so long in this industry, especially like through all the changes from, you know, the recession to whatever the heck we're in now? Like how 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 did you when you first entered the industry? What was it like? And then how have you been able to, you know, manage it throughout your 20 years? Wow. Well, when I first became a realtor, it was in 2004, 2004. So that was before the market crashed. And I had some experience in real estate already because my parents were real estate investors. So they owned property and I owned property as well. So I had gone through the purchase process. I had gone through the sale process. Um, so I knew it firsthand from having experienced it. Um, in the beginning, it was you know not as difficult for me as maybe some newer people because I had experience in corporate America. I knew a lot of people. Um, as I mentioned, my family had some real estate. So my first sales were helping to sell my family members' homes and friends and people like that. So that's how I first got started. Um, and then I was just getting good when the market crashed, but I was still new enough that I didn't really know the difference. <laughs> it wasn't like I was a top producer and all of a sudden business, you know, stopped. I was still working it. So one of the things that I did um, during the market crash is I pivoted and I was doing more foreclosures. I had been doing some prior to that. And I just did more of those because they were more available. Um, I also did short sales. And, and I mean, this is a side note lesson learned, right? I remember thinking I, I did a short sale um, and to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. But Wait, well, no, what's, a, what's a short sale? Oh, thank you for thank you for <laughs> mentioning that. That's right. I got to break it down. So a short sale is, is when a homeowner is upside down on their mortgage. And what I mean by that is they owe more on the house than what they can sell the home for. So the market, for example, if I did a market analysis and looked at homes that have recently sold in the neighborhood, let's say the sales were at $100,000, but they owe $150,000 on their house. So now if they sold their house, there's a $50,000 gap. That's called a short sale. And in those cases, the bank would have to um, agree to take that lesser amount and, you know, let the homeowner walk away. 
So my point is that I, I started doing those and I thought it was easy, but as more and more people were in that situation during the market crash, um, all of a sudden these certifications came out and trainings came out and people were talking as if it was so hard to do. And I thought, wow, I just did one and I didn't think it was that hard. So my point is that sometimes we mentally think things are harder than what they really are. And, um, you know, we just got to go forward because so many times they're easier than we think. So during that time, I worked with more foreclosures and short sales. Once the market got better and there weren't as many of those, then I had to pivot again. And I said, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. Wasn't a lot of money to be made in that anyway. I'm going to go back to the basics and focus on the other um, most important, the other more typical home sales with buyers and sellers. And so I made that shift and uh, continued to, to do that. So I think it's important over the years when you're in business to just make adjustments as the market changes so you can stay current. I like that because this whole time you've been pivoting and people don't really, they say like that word is so new because like, you know, the pandemic and COVID, like a lot of business had to pivot. But if you're a successful business or entrepreneur, you're always trying to assess change and how to, you know, figure that out. So I want to know a little bit about um, how did you even get into this role um, at the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors? Like, and why did you have any interest in it in the first place? Because I know you're the third black person to have this position. So, you know, sometimes we tend to like, you're the first in this. So, you know, you got a lot of spotlight. It's a lot to handle. So like, you know, why take on the role? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm going to say that um, it was not on my radar to be active in the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors. Earlier in my career, I was focused like many agents on just trying to buy, you know, help people buy and sell homes. I was just doing, you know, the, the life of a realtor. Um, but I always made sure that I maintained good relationships with the other agents that I worked with and with my clients. And that took me into a lot of different um, events, meeting a lot of new people in the real estate industry. And at one point, about four years ago, it was in 2018, there was a position open on the board of directors and someone in my company nominated me to be on the board of directors. And I was shocked when I got that call because again, I was not even thinking about being in leadership. I was just doing the daily day-to-day -day activities of a realtor. And um, when she nominated me, I thought, wow, what an honor and a privilege. And I'd be happy to um, participate. And then um, I got on the ballot and the realtors um, in the Milwaukee area had to vote and they voted for, there were four, can I believe there were six candidates on the ballot and I was one of them. And um, they elected me, my peers of over 5,000 realtors elected me to represent them on the board of directors. And that was in 2018. I served a term of three years, and then I was reelected again um, in 2021 to serve another three-year term on the board of directors. Um, also, while I was serving on the board, there are 16 board members. Um, the board then um, voted for their executive committee 
And the executive committee consists of the secretary, treasurer, the vice chair, and the chairperson. And they voted me to be the secretary treasurer. Um, I think that was in 2022. And uh, <laughs> in 21, or, I'm sorry, in 2020, they voted me to be the secretary treasurer. I became the vice chair uh, in 2022. And now I'm the chairwoman in 2023. So it's been some years in the making but it all started by just providing good service and maintaining great relationships with my fellow realtors. I love that. Um, how, how do you go about finding homes? So like, you know, that's the job of a realtor is to like literally find the homes. Right. But I never understood the art to it. Like when it's a journal, like for example, a journalist, you have to find your own stories. So yeah. how I do that is, um, one, like people send me press releases. I go on social media. If I'm looking for a specific topic, I'll use hashtags. I'll go drive around wherever I'm at. Like there, that's the kind of way I find stores. But how do you like, how does one find property? Yeah. So, um, well, part of it is we've got tools available to us, just like with you. You know, we've got our multiple listing service, which is our MLS system. And that's how um, all the properties that are listed for sale get put into that database. So it doesn't matter what company a person is using to sell their home, they all get put in there. Um, so now there's this database of, let's say, thousands of homes, and I've got to narrow it down to the house that's right for my client. Um, sometimes there are houses that aren't on the MLS system, and an example of that would be a for sale by owner someone that just decided, hey, I'm going to sell my house myself, and they go get a sign from Menards, and they stick it in their front yard. Those homes aren't necessarily um, are going to be on the MLS system, but you know we can drive by and see them and reach out to those homeowners. Um, the thing that I like the most about my job, though, is really getting to know the people. So what the buyers that I'm working with. So if you came to me and said, hey, can you help me find a home? I would sit down with you, find out what you're looking for, you know, how much space you need. What are you going to do? You want to have your podcast in your house. Okay. We need to have a room for your studio. You know, if you have children, just find out how you live. And once I find that out, then I can start doing some research and I'm really good at matching people to the perfect house. Matter of fact, I will say that it's to the point that I can be seeing a home with another buyer and it may not work for them. And I'll think, wait a minute, I remember Naisha telling me she was looking for a house like this. This is a perfect house for her. And there are many times that I find the house and identify that this is the right house for you before the buyer even does. And, um, you know, just by getting a feel for what people, you know, who they are and what they like and matching it together, you know, um, some of the questions I ask that, that other people may not ask is, you know, what about a dining room? People know about bedrooms and bathrooms, right? Yes. But let's talk about a dining room. Does that matter to you? Because you may say, well, I don't entertain and have formal dinners. So what do I need a dining room for? Or maybe you do entertain and have family over and you need a, a dining room. But the reason I asked that question is to find out more because many times I found people who go to houses and say, oh, it seems small. It's because all it had was a living room and a kitchen. <laughs> but now that there's a dining room, you could turn that into your den 
You could make that your home office space. You know, maybe it just gives you extra room to breathe, you know, to spread out. So you feel like you're not confined to just one space. There's so many different things. And so I just ask those types of questions, you know, that help get a feel for how they're going to live in the house and then match them up to the right one based on that. We got to talk one day outside of this. I like the way you think. I like the way you ask questions. And that's my job. And so I'm always willing to learn more. I think that's really amazing. Um, you're a connector. You know, someone could see, you know, the plug. Shout out to Future. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so being in Milwaukee, has your whole career, um, um, you've been selling houses in Milwaukee and Brown Deer, correct? Yes. And all over the, you know, I would say the, four county area you know I've sold homes in Waukesha County Ozaki County you know Washington County I'm all over I'm not just in Milwaukee and Brown Deer but I live in Brown Deer so that makes it a special place for me okay so why churches um they uh, according to your <laughs> your bio you learn you're known as the church lady because you're you've sold a numerous amounts of churches for one how many churches and then two how do you sell churches and three why churches because I just I, I never thought of that like, <laughs> so I wouldn't say that I've sold a lot of churches I've only sold a couple of them um, but the way that it came about is I was very involved with um, my church and my ministry and uh, my pastor was a mentor to me. He gave me business advice, not just lot life advice, but he had some experience um, in working with the city of Milwaukee and rehabbing homes. So he would give me advice on real estate and he would talk to some of his other pastor friends and he'd always say, hey, you know, I know a really great realtor and he would refer them to me. And that's how I got started working with churches. And I work with a number of different congregations. I also helped my own ministry to help find them a location as well. And so that kind of gave me some initial experience on um, what was involved in the process. And so um, one of the churches that I sold was off of 24th and Hampton. Um, it used to be an old Providence Baptist church. And now it's um, it's got a new name. It's under new ownership. Gosh, I can't think of the name immediately off the top of my head, but that was a beautiful church and it has historic significance because I remember growing up um, back in my teenage years and they used to have coach buses at that church and they would do cotillions and they would um, like, they were known if you had to go somewhere with a church event or like a choir, you could go to them and and rent out their um, coach buses. So I just remember it from that standpoint, they have like some major um, historical names carved into the front of the building, which was great. So I enjoyed selling that church. Um, but that's how it all came about is just, you know, from interacting with my pastor and some other pastors in the city and uh, just trying to help. Um, but I don't specialize in churches. Uh, so even though I've done a couple, I really do specialize in residential helping individuals um, to buy and sell homes. That's really more of what my focus is. 
Um, I know sometimes I'm pretty sure you've done some panels and stuff. They ask about like the the specifics and like the analytics and all like the research. But I really want to know more more about the people side. So when you match up that person and they finally get to the point where like they sign in, they get the keys, like and some I don't know how, like can you name like or sell some stories of like how they react sometimes to, like especially the ones that get like their first home and like what does that feel like for you when you see that? Yeah, yeah. So um. You know, this ties into the first question you asked me too. like, uh, you know, how can you keep doing this for almost 20 years? Each person is different and it's a wonderful experience working with first time home buyers. The emotion that comes from the sense of accomplishment and knowing that you've done it, knowing that this was a goal that you finally achieved. And then my satisfaction of knowing that I played a big role in helping it to come to pass. Um, there's a lot of emotions that go on with the home buying process. And I mean, at first people are excited, right? They're like, yeah, I'm going to give me a home. It's 2023. It's one of my goals. I'm getting a new house. Great. Then we go through and we start shopping for homes. Then some frustrations can come in at that point. Um, frustration, impatience, especially with this market where there's limited inventory, you know, and you're going around and you're waiting for that new house to come on the market. I have to be an encourager to help people to hang in there. I know we haven't seen the house yet, but it's coming. Every day new houses are coming on the market. Be patient. Let's wait for it. So I'm, I'm encouraging them through that process. Then there's a time where we might write an offer and sometimes the offers don't get accepted right away. You know, I was just talking with my team today about us having to write multiple offers and them not getting accepted because buyers are still competing in this market. It still is a seller's market, even though the interest rates have gone up super high. So buyers get frustrated. They thought they found their dream home and they wrote their best offer and now they didn't get it. And now I've got to tell them that's okay. That one wasn't the one. That means there's another one that's even better. So I'm constantly encouraging people, constantly motivating them to stay in the game, be patient. We got this. The right one is coming. And then when we finally do write the offer to purchase or get ready to, there's some nervousness because now they got to sign all this paperwork. You're signing your name on this dotted line <laughs> and you're committing that this is the one. Sometimes people get scared because they're thinking, well, wait, what if another one comes on the market that I like even better? No, you got to commit. <laughs> this is it. We don't write an offer unless you are fully committed, unless you've fully decided that this is the one. So I'm there, you know, to comfort them and to ease them and explain the process to kind of help reduce some of that nervousness that can come when you're signing off on all these papers. And I just remind them I'm with you through this whole process. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. We got this. I am here to hold your hand. Oh, there's so much. What? What's the next step? Don't worry. I got it. I'll give you the next steps. I'll lay it all out for you. I'll walk you through the process until we get to the end. And then, of course, that closing day, that's the exciting day, um, you know, where people are just elated. I've seen tears. I've seen people just be super happy. I've, you know, seen people waiting outside with flowers and balloons. You know, it's been a... a you know, a plethora of experiences. Um, sometimes even on the selling side, sometimes when people are selling one home and buying another home, there's a lot of emotional attachment to that other house. 
you know, maybe that's the house they grew up in, the house that they're, um, they had their kids in. There's a lot of sentimental value associated with that house. And so parting with the old and going on to the new can be happy and sad at the same time. So working through all those emotions, but, you know, I, I'm still here. I've, I've developed so many fabulous friendships from my clients because we are talking to each other almost every day and we're dealing through all these emotions and now they sell the house and or bought the house and it's like, now what? I'm used to talking to you all the time. We gotta continue this. We gotta have lunch. We gotta hang out. So a matter of fact, in the next, uh, let's see, next weekend, I'm going to a Bucks game with some past clients and you know, just having dinner. So I've built a lot of great relationships and friendships as a result of me helping them to buy and sell homes. I'm glad that you love that you love what you do. And I can tell by how you how you talk about it and how you you treat the people that you work with yeah. or that you work for or with, however you, you know, however you want to um state that. So you re you rehabilitate houses, correct? Yes. Um, how do you is there ever what's the stages of like a house that or what's the house that you know, like if there are two houses and they both need to be re rehabilitated, right? Mm -hmm. Like what will make you choose one over the other? Like, is there a certain level that you won't touch or um, how, how does that process work for you? And then what does it take to rehabilitate um, a home? Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of depends. I'm working on two different types of rehabs right now. One is where I would call a, you know, flipping what you might see on HGTV. Um, my husband and I have done that a number of times. For those homes, I'm looking for a neighborhood. In real estate, it's all about location, location. So because I'm purchasing those homes to rehab them and resell them, I want to make sure they're going to be in a neighborhood and in an area where it's going to attract homeowners who want to pay the highest price. And so for those homes, you know, I'm bypassing some that may be similar because they're not in necessarily the most desirable neighborhoods. So based on the neighborhood, I look at the numbers and see how much I could sell it for after I fix it up. And based on that, I select that home and go through the rehab process and then the sale process. Um, but I'm also really uh, um, into revitalizing neighborhoods in the city of Milwaukee. And that is one of the reasons why I um, why I submitted a proposal to the city of Milwaukee to rehab some of their foreclosed homes. Um, there, there were a number of developers, over 66 developers who applied to the city to rehab their homes. And I was one of 15 that they chose. And so I'm really excited to be rehabbing up to 20 um, city of Milwaukee foreclosed homes. The homes that I have are in the Burleigh area, um, 20th to 27th street, um, and from center to Hopkins. So I'm really concentrating on improving that neighborhood um, and improving the housing stock that's there. So in that case, because my goal is to revitalize the neighborhood, it may not be the best neighborhood right now, but hopefully when we're all done rehabbing all these homes and presenting them to homeowners, that will change. So these homes are in really bad condition. In the past, I would have totally walked away from them. I may not have even wanted to go inside because city foreclosures are in horrible condition. They've been vacant for many years. And, um, but I've done it long enough now where I see the vision. I can go into something that's really dilapidated and I can see the end result of it being this beautifully 
updated and remodeled home. And so I'm really excited to be going through that process with the contractors and um, to deliver a final product that will be gorgeous and HGT ready for that um, neighborhood. I think that's beautiful um, to really focus on Burleigh and give that a highlight because so many people are from those neighborhoods and a lot of talent lives in those neighborhoods still to this day, but they don't have quality. Just go outside and look at beauty sometimes. And so that's what we need. Um, how are you ensuring that I'm glad that more houses are being built or like being redeveloped because a lot of people are building like big buildings, like units, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so how are you making sure, are you ensuring that these houses are affordable or, you know, for the community that they're in? And then on top of that, uh, what is it going to, what are those homes going to look like now? I mean, eventually when the process is done. Yeah. Yeah. So the city of Milwaukee is providing some funds to help us offset the cost of rehabbing the house and that's what will make it affordable because these houses are in such bad condition that the cost to rehab them is probably equal to if not you know greater than the cost to just tear it down and rebuild a whole new house um, it's just that much work that's needed for those homes. And if we were to approach it like I would another rehab, another flip, so to speak, we'd be selling these homes in the 200,000s, 200, 300,000s, and we know that that's not affordable for that neighborhood. So fortunately, the city is using what they call ARPA funds, which is the affordable, um, it's like affordable um, housing something. <laughs> I forgot what the <laughs> what the um, acronym stands for, but it they're providing subsidy money to help offset that cost. So now when it comes to selling these homes, they're going to be priced much lower. So we're looking at um, anywhere from maybe a hundred to a hundred and twenty thousand is what we'd sell the home for once it's all finished. And then you're going to have a completely rehabbed home with new flooring, you know, um, new windows, new roof, um, appliances in it, um, just something that is beautiful and comparable to what you would see with any other rehabbed home. And one of the things that I really like doing is staging homes because I believe that that really makes it feel more warm and welcoming when you can see how your furniture is placed and offering that furniture to the new homeowner so that they can actually move into a furnished home if they want. And if they don't want some of the pieces, then we can remove them, but they may just like it. I mean, after all, that's what happens when you're buying new construction. If you were spending $600,000 and buying a new construction home in Menominee Falls, if you went to go and view that model home, you'd see a beautifully furnished home. I wanna provide that for the residents of the 53206 neighborhood, people that look like me, I want them to have that same experience with these wonderful homes that we're rehabbing. I know this has been talked about before a lot, um, but providing that those type of homes in those type of communities, what do you know is gonna happen for the city of Milwaukee? Like once we have more of those, more of those type of housing, like what do you think is gonna happen? Well, the key is getting homeowners not renters. Nothing against renters, but renters have a different mindset than homeowners do. Homeowners are vested. They've put down a down payment. They've determined that this is a home they're going to live in for a number of years, raise their family. 
Um, it's been proven that neighborhoods with more homeowners um, are in better condition. And so I anticipate offering it to homeowner for homeownership and then teaching people how to maintain homes so that they can keep them looking beautiful. Because the last thing we want to do is spend all this time and money into a house. And then a few years later, it's run down again. And so we're going to be offering some training and services to help people learn how to, to maintain and keep up their home so it continues to look beautiful for years to come. Teach them about generational wealth so that they can leave an inheritance for their children and just begin to perpetuate and leave a legacy of home ownership. People who may have been renting for many, many years in the past, that that whole thing will change. And it'll turn their neighborhood around and cause values to increase. Every time we invest money in and we sell a home, it's causing the neighborhood values to increase as a whole. And that's what we're expecting to see. Thank you for adding that because it's more than just buying a home. It's like you said, creating that generational wealth, um, showing them the importance of like what you really just bought is more than just this home. Like you, you own something and it's like you come to it and this is how you keep it. This is how you make sure other people respect it. So, you know, thank you for doing that. So how I end all my interviews, when people listen to this uh, podcast, what do you want them to get from this? I want them to get that um, you can aspire and um, um, excel to any position that you want, but it all starts with people. It's all about how we interact. Um, you just never know when later on someone will open up a door for you to walk through. And as I mentioned, being the first African-American chairwoman, I'm only in this position because someone saw potential in me when I was doing my everyday tasks and provided an opportunity for me to walk through. So I would say operate in the spirit of excellence, treat everyone fairly and with respect because your name um, has to um, have a positive connotation with it. When people think of you, they've got to think of something good. Don't burn any bridges because that could be a future um, avenue for you to increase and to get, achieve all of your goals. So just be your best and 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 treat everybody great. And I, I believe that when you do that, that you're bound to have good success. Well, thank you for that. This is the Carbon Stone Podcast. And Aisha Stone, we have Angela Walters on today. Make sure y'all join us every Tuesday as I bring someone on from around the world to talk about the positive things going on in their life. And remember, in the end, everything will be carved in stone. In the end, everything will be carved in stone. <laughs>